I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today, I wanted to follow up on last week's program about how we know that it is very likely, I won't say with absolute certainty, but I will say very, very likely that the events in the Book of Mormon took place in Central America. And I had some pushback on that in a number of different areas that I will get into today. For instance, gee, if all this happened in Central America, why is the Hill Cumorah by Joseph Smith's home. I'll get to that. Before I do, I wanted to make a really fun and exciting announcement about a presentation of a near-death experience by a delightful um, lady whose name is Emily Spear, and she's not a Latter-day Saint. She saw Jesus in her near-death experience that she had in connection with childbirth. And it was quite dramatic and very, very moving because it talks about redemption and the nature of Jesus' role in that. It's just absolutely fascinating. If you are interested in hearing a near-death experience free of charge, open to the public with questions and answers at the end, live in Salt Lake City, you are welcome to attend. It's in a couple of weeks on Friday, June 23rd, 7 to about 8.30 p.m. It'll be fabulous. Again, Friday, June 23rd, 7 to 8 p.m. The location is 2001 South State Street in Salt Lake City. It's in the uh, Mayor Council Auditorium at the government building there at 21st South. If you have any questions about that, be in touch with me. Send me an email, martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com. I'll be happy to get you more details. Hope to see you there. This will be really quite an extraordinary event. All right, on to today's topic about the whole issue of the location 
of events in the Book of Mormon. There are people who point to Joseph Smith said this. Oliver Cowdery's Letter 7 says that. Frederick Williams said this. The Times and Seasons said that. The fascinating point about talking about comments of church leaders, whether in print or from the pulpit, is that none of them have ever claimed revelation on the location, not even Joseph Smith. As a matter of fact, Joseph Smith apparently changed his personal idea or opinion about where the location was of the events in the Book of Mormon several times during his lifetime. Why? Because he had no revelation about where it occurred. He very firmly, by revelation, had the ability to translate the Book of Mormon, but he didn't know where the events occurred exactly. So that's point number one to make. Only the Book of Mormon itself, only the text, is something that we know to be revelatory in nature. And so looking at what the text itself actually says about the location of the Book of Mormon events is something that's really, really useful to do. More about that later. Where could you find in the New World metal plates like we have described in First Nephi? Chapter 1, verse 17, and in Joseph Smith history. Chapter 1, verse 51. Let's start with that one. Are there any metal plates with Native American writing on them anywhere in North America. That would be impossible because the Native American tribes, as brilliant as they were in many ways, did not have written language. They just didn't. And that's not the case about Central America. As a matter of fact, if you go to the Peabody Museum in Harvard University... There is a gold plate that was discovered in 1899 at Chichen Itza, which is right on the Yucatan Peninsula. And it dates towards the latter end of Nephite times, right in that location. The whole description that Joseph Smith made about golden plates found in a stone box was something that was first laughed about until they were found in 1938 in what is modern-day Iran on the corners of King Darius' palace. And in, in one corner, in a stone box, there were silver plates. In another corner, in a stone box, there were gold plates. So the idea of gold and silver plates is something that has been confirmed both in Central America by golden plates in the Peabody Museum at Harvard and that they were available anciently to those in the Middle East by King Darius. And by the way, the Darius plates are dated to about 550 B.C., approximately the time that Lehi left. So from there, let's ask another question. Where would the Jaredites and the party of Lehi, uh, where, where would they have landed? 
Where would they go? Where would the currents take them? It's interesting because both parties apparently landed in the same place. That's a fact that a lot of people don't mention or don't pick up on in the Book of Mormon. But the Jaredites and the people from Lehi's party landed in about the same place. Now, it's possible maybe that that uh, Nephi and Lehi and, and their party had had a sailing ship. It doesn't say that, but possibly. But the Jaredites had barges. They were stuck with barges. That's what the narrative says. And so they would not have sailed anywhere. They would have floated somewhere. And the currents do not take you around Africa and land you on the east coast of the United States. The currents from the Arabian Peninsula take you east, past India, past lower what is today China and and the other um, countries of Far East Asia, and then across the ocean, and they would land you that the currents would take you right to Central America. And that is the likely place. As a matter of fact, it's about the only place that someone floating would wind up landing. The Jaredites did in barges, and apparently the Nephites landed in almost exactly the same place later. And this is, is a very important point. Let's talk when we come back about approximately where these locations were. I I would say that Veracruz is probably somewhere close to the Hill Camorra. And the Yucatan Peninsula would have been where Bountiful and Zarahemla were. And then you have some sunken cities by Nephi and Moroni and, or excuse me, Nephi and Manti and Mormon that are located on the southern part of the Yucatan Peninsula that have been discovered by the National Geographic Society. So more about what we find in the Book of Mormon and in real life by archaeology when we come back. There are no sunken cities that I'm aware of in, in North America that would date to the time of Christ. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. We'll be right back after this. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless, and I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. And we're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. If you would like to attend a fascinating event where a near-death experience will be presented, I would like to again invite you, free of charge, open to the public, to join anyone, everyone who, who attends Friday, June 23rd at 7 p.m. at 2001 South State Street. In Salt Lake City, the Mayor Council Chambers. This will be from 7 to 8.30 p.m. The speaker will be Emily Spear, who's not a Latter-day Saint, but who died during a surgery a procedure in connection with childbirth, and she saw Jesus, and some fascinating things were told to her about redemption and about God, it's it's just a really interesting description. I would invite anyone who has an interest in these to, to attend. If you have any questions or concerns, uh, feel free to send me an email. I'll be happy to respond or give you more details. But this will just be a wonderful event. Again, free, open to the public, 21st South and State Street, 2001 South State Street. In the Mayor Council Chambers, Friday, June 23rd at 7 p.m. Speaker will be Emily Spear talking about her near-death experience in which she had a wonderful and enlightening experience with Jesus. All right, back to our topic at hand. Let's discuss something about Hill Cumorah. How I was asked several times this week, could the last battles have happened in Central America and then the plates wind up in a hill in upstate New York? And that's a great question. Here are a few answers that I think will explain that. The distance from... The Yucatan Peninsula, let's say from Guatemala City to the Smith Farm, is about 3,260 miles. There were 38 years that elapsed from the last battle until the plates were buried. Easily, someone like Moroni could traverse that distance on foot. As a matter of fact, many times they could. For example, Marco Polo and his brothers in a shorter time period traveled about 28,000 miles. They did it in 24 years, not 38 years. And so it is easily possible for them to have done that. And, and well, I shouldn't say easy, but it's something that they obviously did and something that could easily have happened for for Moroni. Now, let's um, talk just a, a little bit more about that. Well, wait a minute. Why, why, would, why would the early Latter-day Saints call the hill in upstate New York Camorra if the real 
Hilcomoris in Central America. Maybe Moroni could have taken the time and walked up there, but, but why did the church and its leaders call it Camorra? Well, that was their assumption. Uh, why do we to this day call Native American Indians Indians? And the answer is, it was a mistake. <laughs> uh, when Columbus got to the New World, he thought he had arrived in India, and so he called the native people there, Indians, and it stuck, just like the Hill Camorra idea stuck with the hill near the Smith home. Well, the people in native North, Central, and South America are certainly not from the country of India, but they have been called for a long, long time Indians or Native American Indians because that's the way they are referenced. Uh, you you have a similar thing going on where you find a couple of comments by early church leaders saying, let's have a mission to the Lamanites, meaning the Native American groups. Well, they believed all the Native American groups were um, probably Book of Mormon peoples. That was probably not right, but it, well, it certainly could not have been right, but it's an assumption they made. Here's another question that, that I was asked last week. Well, wait, well, wait a minute. In First Nephi chapter 13, verse 12, we learn this. It's talking about Christopher Columbus. Quote, I beheld the Spirit of God that it came down and wrought upon the man, meaning Christopher Columbus. And he went forth upon the many waters, even unto the seed of my brethren who were in the promised land, close quote. And, and then it goes on and talks about uh, many other things. Well, this could not reference North America. During his four voyages, starting in 1492, Columbus landed in the Caribbean islands. He landed in Jamaica, Cuba, the Bahamas, Hispaniola. He also explored the coast in Mesoamerica on the Yucatan Peninsula, Columbus never once set foot in North America. If the Book of Mormon text is to be taken literally, where Mesoamerica is, is where the Book of Mormon in chap in First Nephi chapter 13, verse 12 is, is discussing, not North America. All right, so some people said, well, wait a minute, we live in the promised land that's talked about in First Nephi chapter 5. That couldn't be Central America. No, 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 no. Here's, here's the way it works. We have been told by Joseph Smith that all of North and South America is the land of promise. So we don't have to say it's either North America or Central America or either North Central but not South America. It's all of the above. All of the Americas would amount to promised lands. Now, I mentioned, I promised that to, to a few people who wrote that I would talk about sunken cities. There is a place, in, it's, it's not far away from Guatemala City, and it's called Lake Atitlan. And it has a sunken city called Sambayak that's 50 feet underwater. It's probably the Lamanite 
city Jerusalem destroyed about 30 AD when Christ was crucified. It's mentioned in 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 7. This was discovered by the National Geographic Society. They've done extensive work on it, and they found that it sunk slightly after, well, it was sometime during the first century AD, uh, and, and they found that it sunk rather quickly. Why? Because tables, people, artifacts, nothing was removed. Everything was there. Households had all their furnishings and so forth. The city just sunk about 50 feet and sat there for the last millennia and a half. Here's another fascinating point that that I wanted to make about um, something very simple and plain. The Book of Mormon talks many, many times about swords. Do you know any Native Americans in North America that have used swords? Alma chapter 24 talks about swords extensively. What about that? No, you don't find that. But Native Americans in Central America used swords extensively. They were called mequitel, and they were so powerful and so strong that there are stories by the conquistadors of the Native Americans coming out of the woods and severing a horse's head from its body with one stroke with a mequitel. There's no such evidence of swords being used by Native Americans in North America at all. So for these and many, many other reasons, I am firmly convinced the events in the Book of Mormon likely happened in Central America. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Join me next week. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.